hearing the Word of God read. And uh, we, we sometimes miss out on that because we don't always hear it read aloud. We normally read it to ourselves, don't we? But think back when not everybody had a copy of 17 different translations on their iPhone. All right? Or even having one translation for yourself or one bi- copy. That's how they read. That's how they learned. They heard it orally spoken. I think it's so important that we, we, we do that as well, that we hear it orally. We not only publicly, but we maybe listen to it or we read it out loud. Often, sometimes when I, I'm alone, I could read it out loud because it allows me to listen and think about the Word of God in even a greater way. Well, at this time, we want to dismiss for uh, children up through fifth grade, those who would like to go to Grace Kids and your classes. Uh, dismiss. Ms. Michelle has a sign over here. Head that way. And I'd ask the rest of you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And as they make their way to their classes, I also want to welcome some special guests here that are visiting us this week. Came in from Mississippi. Uh, Amy and Julia McCarty. Um, uh, we know their family from the 20 years or more than 20 years I've been working camp in Kentucky. And most of you all know I go there and work camp every summer and been doing it for 20-something years now. And we got to meet the McCarty family. They've got them from, how old's the oldest now, Amy? 24. And the youngest is? 13. 13, okay. So uh, um, I've known their family for many, many years. And uh, our kids have gotten close. And uh, so they came to the surprise, um, surprise us all, but maybe specifically Anna Marie. All right. And uh, Julia just had ankle surgery earlier in the uh, uh, year. And uh, so she could kind of empathize with Anna Marie having her surgery. So they came and blessed all of us with being here, so we're glad you all are here. And I know, I know that the, the McCall's had some guests in to celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving, Davina, all right? Make sure if you see Davina, tell her happy Thanksgiving, and we, we love that Davina came because we get to celebrate Thanksgiving twice now, you know, and get more food and all those kind of things, and I was talking to some people who were visiting, some guys from Nigeria, and they said, well, we, we just want to have a heart of Thanksgiving all year round in the church in Nigeria, and that's exactly what we want to do, and I told them, well, maybe we could c- celebrate Nigerian Thanksgiving like in September, right? And you know, how about in the Ivory Coast, Bizon? Maybe we should do that like in August, we can just cover all the months of celebrating Thanksgiving. That sound good? Uh, that's the way we should be, always thanking the Lord for his goodness toward us. Uh, well, uh, we're continuing this morning. Obviously, you can see is, is our, our series in the book of Acts uh, called Missio Dei, which is Latin for Mission of God. And this morning, we'll be covering, um, hold on to your seats here, okay? Hold on. It's chapter 9, verse 32 through chapter 10, verse 23. Yes. That will be a miracle, won't it? There are miracles in this passage, and that will be a miracle too. But we will trust the Lord with that. And the title of the message this morning, you'll see why, is Yes, the Gentiles too. Yes, the Gentiles too. So let's go to the Lord and ask him again to open our heart and our minds to his word. Lord, we thank you already for the great time we've had of worship in many different ways this morning. And Lord, now we come to that time of worship when we worship you through your word. And Lord, you cause us to to look to you and cry out to you to help us do something we can't do on our own. And that is to understand and apply your word. Lord, we, we need you to open our hearts and our minds so we can see what you have for us this morning. So we can see that you are a God who keeps his promises. And Lord, that you're not only the God of the Jews, but of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And Lord, we're so thankful for that. So Lord, help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, got some questions for you this morning. What, what do you think of when you see this picture? Don't blurt out. Just like look at the picture and what do you think of? What are you thinking when you see this gentleman sitting there with his dog, his dog on a blanket? What, what, do you, what do you think goes through your mind? All right. So, all right. You don't have to blurt it out, but somebody said homeless. And I would say many of us probably thought the same thing. And that's a possibility, but how do you know? He could be a millionaire out walking his dog and likes to dress casually. He could. We laugh at that. He could. He could. How, how do you know that? How do we know this guy's homeless? And maybe you thought, well, he's a drunk. He's a beggar. He's taken advantage of our society. Or like I heard in another, I can't remember what country it was, but I heard just recently that um, 
some people from one of these animal rights activists, you know, they want to kill all the babies but save all the, the, the dogs, right? Which is messed up. I'm not, I love dogs, but that's wrong. All right, but they, they, they went and stole this homeless man's dog because the dog deserved better. All right, bad. All right, so maybe you're thinking all these things. Well, I don't know who he is. It's just a picture of a guy who's got a hoodie on. Does hoodie say homeless? I don't know. His dog, he's sitting down. I don't know. We don't know. But why do we jump to those conclusions so quickly? And I, I bet nobody thought he was a millionaire. Nobody thought he held down a job. He might hold down a job. He might have a better job than you do. We don't know that. All right, how about this picture? What do you think of? Don't, don't tell me. What do you think of? Obviously, she's dressed like an Amish woman. Okay? I googled Amish woman. This is what came up. All right? All right. So she's dressed like an Amish woman. And chances are she's probably Amish. So maybe, may, maybe, uh, it didn't, I don't know. I mean, well, I don't know. Most people, dress, most people don't. You know, maybe somebody likes to dress up like an Amish woman. I don't know. All right? But, but that's probably, but, but what goes through your mind when you think about Amish? Don't, don't tell me. Well, let's just think about it a second. Maybe you're thinking legalistic. Maybe you're thinking purity. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're thinking uh, um, devout. How many of you thought prostitute? How many of you thought that? How, how, how many of you thought, doesn't love the Lord? How, how many of you all thought that um, she's a drug dealer? How do we know either one? We don't. We're just looking. You don't know any of that. If you all see, I, I don't know, they saw, I saw a few, um, this program, it's like the, the Amish Mafia or something like that. I mean, there's some people in the Amish community that, that are downright rotten, if you ever watch that show. How do you know? All right, let's show one more. All right, what do you think of here? Don't tell me. If you know who this is, don't say anything. Some of the young people know who this is, all right? It's not me, all right? I'll tell you that. But what do you think of him? Just look. Look at him. Just look. I mean, his pants are kind of drooping a little bit. Got some kind of thing around. He's got his hat. It's not even on straight. At least it's not on the side, but it's kind of crooked a little bit. Doesn't have his shoes tied. All right, what are you thinking? Are you thinking thug? Drug dealer? He's mad at the world. Look at that. Look at that face. <laughs> Maybe that's what you're thinking. And especially if you don't know who he is. Well, you might be surprised to know this is Lecrae, who's one of the most godly men you'd ever meet. If you ever listen to his music, he will put you to shame on his understanding of the scripture. He trained over my, under my good friend Tommy Nelson at Denton Bible Church. Yes, he did. And that's hard to believe. He did. All right, and he has a tremendous impact in our world, not only in the Christian community, the world as a whole, as he takes his music to the world that are solid, theological, and he lives it. He doesn't just know it, he lives it. But how many of y'all thought that when you saw that? I bet you many did. If you know who he was, you didn't think that. He's a black man with his hat on crooked, droopy jeans. He must be a thug. I'm sorry. And if maybe all of us were honest in here, maybe some of you thought that this morning. You know, we could keep going on and on. And you're probably hoping I'll quit. And I'm not going to show you more pictures, all right? But uh, the reality is, is we all struggle with prejudices, don't we? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. We, we prejudged all these photos, and that's all I gave you. Just what you saw. They weren't doing anything that would make you think one way or the other. To, to, to prove your point. And as I've said this before, prejudice is a great time saver. It allows us to come to conclusion without getting all the facts. We prejudge way too often. Years ago when I started talking and we started talking about opening up a, a biblical counseling center here at Grace that would be free to the community, someone said this. If we do that, we will start having people with a lot of problems come to grace. We don't want that. 
And that broke my heart. And immediately, I'll just be honest with you, inside of me, I was angry. But somehow the Lord allowed me to calm my spirit and probably remind me that there's plenty of those kind of things in my life too. And probably in your life too. But here's the reality, and this is what I said. The only kind of people that come to grace are people with problems. Amen. All of us. All of us. What problems can't the Lord fix? What hearts can the Lord not replace with new hearts? It's kind of quiet in here now. And, but the reason it's quiet because we all know it's true. Amen. We all know we got things in our heart, things in our life that we prejudge we don't agree on certain people, the way they look, what they might say. They didn't, didn't weren't raised like me. They don't look like me. They don't go where I go. They don't listen to music I listen to. They don't even use the same translation I use. We keep going. They didn't grow up in the church that I grew up in. They raise their hands when they sing. How about this? They wear a suit when they come. And I, I can tell you right now, there's two different groups right now in this thinking about a guy in a suit at church. Some, peop, some people, probably from an older generation, would say, respects the Lord. Once to the honor of the Lord. And another group would say, stuffy, legalistic. How do you know that? Either way. It could be both. It could be neither. We don't know. But we look and we, we make these judgments based upon our background. What we think we know. We make judgments all the time that are pre-judging. The good thing is, the Lord is committed to rooting out the prejudices in our life. Isn't that good news? Amen. It's good news for me. I'm the only one in here with prejudices, okay? So at least I know that. He's, he's committed to me. He's committed to changing me. He's committing to rooting those things out of my life so that I will, and the reality he's committed to you in the same way, so that we will be more effective at fulfilling the mission of the church. Amen. He's got to do that in us. If, if he's going to use us. And the reality is, if, if you don't cooperate with that, it's going to be hard because he's still committed to it. And he may bring you kicking and dragging, or dragging, screaming and kicking, but he's going to bring you to that point. So it's better that we get and understand that he's going to do that. Why is he so committed to fulfilling the mission of the church? Why is he more committed to fulfilling the mission of the church than we are? Well, let's be reminded of the mission of the church as outlined in the book of Acts as we remember Jesus speaking to his disciples right before he ascended to heaven. I'm not sure where that... Okay. We don't have Acts 1.8, but I'll tell you what Acts 1.8 says, okay? Acts 1.8, you should know it. It's the outline of the book of Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And that's the outline of the book of Acts. That's the mission of the church. He's committed to getting the gospel to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And he has promised to empower his people who he is called by his name, who he is saved by his grace. He's, he's promised to empower us to take that gospel to the world. This is exactly what we've seen so far in the book of Acts. And in chapters 2 through 7, we see it being taken to Jerusalem and Judea. And we see thousands, maybe up to at that point, 20,000 people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is expanding and growing in Jerusalem and Judea. And then in chapter 8, we saw Samaria. We saw Philip take the gospel to Samaria. And we also saw the ends of the earth. Ethiopia. People coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel getting there. Of course, the Ethiopian came, was on his way to Jerusalem. But guess what happened when the Ethiopian went home? He went back and he shared the gospel. And maybe shared the gospel with some of the ancestors of my nephew, who's Ethiopian. Maybe he did that. Or maybe he sent somebody like... Gerald Nagel and his wife and their family to Ethiopia for many years to meet some of those people that had come to know the gospel to encourage them so they could reach more people with the gospel. We see that all through the gospel, all through Acts. So up to this point, it's been about six years 
um, the, the, after the cross. That's where we are. And the vast majority of the ministry of the gospel has been among the Jews. It's a very Jewish looking church at this point. Now that's getting ready to change though because the Lord was and is committed to the mission of his church. In Acts 9 we, we saw the conversion of Saul who the Lord said this about. Bear, he would bear my witness, he would bear my name before the Gentiles. Ah, oh, the Gentiles. That's what he said about Saul as Saul was being converted and he's speaking to Ananias. And last week we discovered that Saul was sent off to Tarsus. And at this point here when we come to our verse 32 um, in Acts 9, he's not on the scene. He's kind of set over here for a little bit. All right, and I'm sure he's ministering in Tarsus, which was his hometown. All right. In our passage this morning, through chapter, all the way through chapter 12, Peter is going to take center stage now. Before Paul becomes a central figure from chapters 13 all the way to the end of the book of Acts. All right, so we're going to have this little, this little caveat here with a couple chapters of Peter, and then it's going to be all Paul, the, at least the central figure the Lord is using uh, through the book of Acts. And we will see that both Peter and Paul are in agreement that the Lord wanted to fulfill his mission in his church throughout the world, including Gentiles. Yes, the Gentiles too. And we should get, for most of us in here, as far as it may be all of us in here, a hearty amen. Because you're a Gentile. Just in case you didn't know, we needed it. why do you need an amen, okay? Um, so this brings us up to our passage of Scripture this morning. We're going to look here at verses 32 of chapter 9. You are thinking, that, he took him that long just for the introduction. There's no way we're going to get through this. We are. Um, through 23 of chapter 10, we're going to see the Lord begin to break down some of the prejudices in the heart of Peter. And my prayer is that he'll use this to begin to break down some of the prejudices in our own life. So he can further use us to fulfill the mission of his church. All right, after I walk down through all these verses, I'm going to come back and, and point out some implications that are in the Scripture that will lead to hopefully application in all of our lives. But before we dive into these verses on Peter, let me be reminded about Peter. All right, let's just be reminded a little bit about Peter. He was raised a Jew. Right? And most of us cannot relate to that at all, even if we think we've read a lot about the Jewish culture. All right? We cannot really relate to Peter being raised a Jew. He was taught what he could and could not do his whole life until he met Jesus. But his whole life had been centered around what he could and could not do. What he could and could not eat. Who he could and could not be around. What day was the most important? What people were the most important? What actions were the most important? And we could go on and on. And just because he had been given new life and been given a new nature through Jesus Christ didn't mean that all of his thoughts and his attitudes and his actions changed immediately. They didn't. Yes, we're given, we've talked about this many times, we're given a new heart, we're made a new creation. We have a new nature. The old is gone, the new has come. But guess what? The old left some shrapnel behind. And we still deal with what's called the flesh. And we have thoughts and attitudes and prejudices that we have from the old man still hanging on. And we have to deal with those every single day. Peter is no different. He's no different than us. He was a work in progress. Just like me and just like you. And the Lord was committed to conforming Peter. And I love this. Conforming Peter more and more into the image of Jesus. Just like us. So join me here watching uh, the Lord lovingly begin to break down some of the prejudices in the heart of Peter. Look with me now in verse 32. We'll begin there in chapter 9. Now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Or Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up, and all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So Peter comes to a city named Lydda. I'm going to pronounce it Lydda because I had an aunt Lydda. 
Alright, if you want to say litter, that's fine too. We don't know exactly, but we're going to call it Lida this morning. And today, this is called Lod, and it's at the side of the Tel Aviv airport. Alright, if you want to go like that up, that's where it is. That's where Lida was, the Tel Aviv airport. Um, obviously, it's flatland. Uh, Peter comes into contact with this crippled man who'd been crippled for eight years, he tells us, Aeneas, and who, who was evidently a part of the saints in that city. And this is referring to Jewish Christians. All right, understand this. I say this a lot. We just got to keep reminding ourselves because we don't hear this a lot. But guess what? If you know Christ and he lives in you, you are a saint. You don't have to do anything special. You don't have to have seven miracles accounted to your name and go before a council be called a saint. All through the scripture, all Christians are called saints. Go read Paul's letter to the saints at the church of Philippi and to the saints at the church of Ephesus. He's not talking about a special group. He's talking about us that know Christ. All right? But these are Jewish saints, Jewish Christians who were driven from Jerusalem due to the, due to the great persecution that we saw earlier in Acts. They're probably driven to other places outside of Jerusalem. Or maybe they became Christians after hearing the gospel as Philip passed near their town. That's, we don't know exactly, but one of those two things is a probability. But Peter, by God's grace and power, heals this man who, who was crippled. And, and the fact that this is just very brief and direct. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of details here, is there? I mean, it's just a, just a few verses. It points to the fact that this miracle was a powerful act of God. Boom. Notice the word immediately. You think it should be in the Gospel of Mark. Because over and over again in Mark, it's immediately, immediately. I mean, a powerful, supernatural work of God on this man and healed him. Boom. Just like that. The healing account is very similar to when Jesus in John 5 heals the paralytic at uh, Bethesda. And Jesus said this, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Boom, you're done. There was no walk down the aisle, let's sing 17 different songs, and let's have you do a different thing, and I'm going to make a big deal out of this, I'm going to hit you on the head, you're going to fall over, you're going to be healed. He was just healed like that. And just mark this down. Whenever you see healing in the scripture, everybody knows it was a work of God. And I'm not saying God can't heal today. I know he does. But you don't need some incantation. You don't need a show. You don't need a private jet. You don't need any of that for God to heal. He didn't need it then. He doesn't need it now. All right? And he can heal. But it's always for a purpose. And we saw that in the Gospel of John. Always for a purpose. Not the purpose of necessarily just a physical healing, but way beyond that. It's about the gospel and getting the gospel to the ends of the world. That's what healing's about. And ultimately, the greatest miracle God does, and, and, and I've said this many times, I'll keep saying it. The greatest miracle God is he takes, he takes an enemy and turns him into a son or a daughter. Someone who hates God, which is all of us without Christ. And he changes into a son or daughter who loves him. That's a miracle. Nobody can do that but God alone. And that's what he's saying here. This is something only God can do. And as the apostles took the gospel to different cities, the Lord performed miracles through them, through them to, confer, first of all, to confirm their authority to take the gospel to the cities and to confirm that this was the same gospel and the same power that came to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. That was the purpose. This is the same gospel. I want you to know that the same God is working here. So when he came to these believers, he said, hey, you're not second-class citizens. The same God that did what he did in Jerusalem, not only has it done in your heart, he's going to do it here. And he's going to, the gospel is going to change your city in Lydda. Well, now look at the next thing that happens, beginning in verse 36. We'll go down through 42. 36 through 42. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid in an, uh, laid her in her upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, uh, the disciples, have, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought in, him into the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used, used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she was, saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. 
it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Wow. Wow. Here we have another amazing account how the Lord uses Peter as his conduit to perform an amazing miracle in the life of this lady. Now, in this neighboring city of Joppa, which was 10 miles away from Lydda, all right, a, a saint here, this lady named Dorcas or Tabitha, um, she's a Jewish uh, lady that has come to put her faith in Christ. Her name means de deer or gazelle. When you think about a gazelle or a deer and you watch, you, you think about graceful. At least I do. They're graceful animals. And couldn't we say that she was living up to her name? Look what it says about her in verse 36. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And then in verse 39, look what it says. Peter says, um, when he gets there, all the, uh, Peter doesn't say this, but this is what happened. Uh, Luke's giving the account. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. She, she cared for the widows, which actually Paul calls Timothy to make sure that we do. She cared for the widows. She, she spent time with the widows. And they were so in love with her and, and missed her so badly. They were just showing, look how much Peter, this lady, meant to us. How she served us as they showed the garments that they made together. Surely she lived up to her name. But the saints in Joppa were devastated at the loss of Tabitha. And, and, and heard that Peter was nearby. So... If you knew, and must, it must have happened, they heard that Peter was nearby and heard maybe that this amazing miracle happened to Naus and he was healed. Maybe Peter could help us. So they call and, and he try, they get somebody to get him and he comes. He comes to their city, to Joppa. And, and once again, does this amazing thing in the life of this lady. He raises her from the dead. But notice what he did in verse 40. Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. He understood that it was only by the power of God that something was going to happen here. That she was going to be raised a new life. Because without the power of God, he knew he was helpless and hopeless to help at all. So he cries out to God to help, to do what only he could do. And we would do well to follow Peter's example. Because in reality, we can do nothing outside the power of God. It says, in him we live and move and have our being. The fact that we're not blowing apart at the seams right now, the world isn't, is because Jesus is holding the world together. Just that, just the common grace all of us enjoy. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we can do nothing of any good without the power of Christ in us. And we need to cry out to him, not just in big times, but all the time. Lord, help me be the husband I'm supposed to be. I can't do it. I can't love my wife like Christ loved the church. Lord, help me be the wife that I'm supposed to be to support and follow the leadership of my husband as he follows Christ. Help me do that. And Lord, as a child, you don't, you don't understand my parents, but, but, but Lord, I need help. I need help to obey them. As a worker, I need help to be a witness at my work. Lord, I just need help to get rid of the prejudices in my life too. Lord, I need help. We would do well to follow his example, understanding that only God can do something great in and through us. And once again, this miracle was very similar to another one of Jesus' miracles. In Mark chapter 5, when uh, he, he brings Jairus' daughter back to life, guess what happens? They put everybody out of the room. Sound familiar? Except for Peter, James, and John, which is interesting that Peter witnessed this. All right? And, and her parents. That's the only ones in the room. But he puts everybody else out and performs this miracle with, with them there. And he, he, he says this. Um... To her, in Mark 5, Talitha, come. Which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Change one letter, even in the Greek, and it's just what we have here. Tabitha, you get that? see that? Tabitha, he says, Tabitha, arise. Tabitha, get up. It's very similar, isn't it? And maybe that's the very, the, the, the very words he just said. That's what Jesus said. I'm trusting Jesus to do the same thing he did with Jairus, Jairus' daughter right here. He would raise this lady up. I'm trusting him here. This miracle, again, confirms Peter's ministry in the gospel. 
So what do these two miracles have in common? This healing of this crippled man, Aeneas, and then this lady named Tabitha or Dorcas. What, what do these have in common? First of all, they were individuals. Up to this point, the only ministry that we saw, and doesn't mean he didn't have other kind of ministry, with Peter is preaching in public. We have these sermons of Peter, and he's preaching to thousands of people, and there's this amazing response. That's what we see so far with Peter. Peter shows back up on the scene, and here he's ministering to what? Individual people. And all through the Gospels and all through, especially the book of Acts, you see this ministering to great crowds. You send ministering to, they, they gathered together day by day, breaking bread house to house. They to get smaller groups. You see individual ministry. It's all part of the spreading of the Gospel. And Peter was involved in all that. So first it's individual. Secondly, they have in common, they were both Jewish believers. Both of them were Jewish believers here. And thirdly, both were done in cities that have become very Gentile environments in business and practice. Both of these cities, all right, have become heavily influenced by the Gentiles. No longer do they look like an outpost of Jerusalem. They were different. Yes, they had many Jewish people who had fled there, but they were Gentile much more in the common practice. And this last point is the key here. As we see the Lord begin to work on Peter's heart, the Lord was getting Peter out of his comfort zone. Being in a very Gentile, or I'll use this word, it's probably not a word, a very Gentilized culture was very uncomfortable for Peter. Very uncomfortable. If you don't think so now, we'll see here in just a second how uncomfortable it was for Peter. He was very uncomfortable. God was having him step out. The Lord was allowing Peter to see that he could work in a place heavenly influenced by Gentiles. Whoa. The Gentiles, I mean, but God, you don't know about the Gentiles, do you? I mean, do you know how much they hate you? How many false gods that they worship? How they try to destroy your people for years and years? I mean, do you know about the Gentiles? How could you work in a place where the Gentiles will have a lot of influence? Well, Peter just saw God work in the lives of people in those cities. And he used Peter to do it. See what God's doing to his heart? You see what's happening here? You see what he's up to? And he's just getting started. Look at verse 43. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Now I thought about doing a standalone message just on this one verse, just to show that I could do it. All right? We could go 45 minutes on one verse, and we could. There's a lot here. We're not going to do that. We're going to do about 45 seconds on this, all right? This verse is packed with truth and packed with impactful uh, challenge for us this morning. Here we see Peter stayed many days, all right, it says in, in Joppa, and we're told with whom he stays, a tanner named Simon. Well, why does the Lord, through Luke, choose to tell us Simon's occupation? Who cares? What difference does it make? He had a place to stay. I mean, he could have saved some words, right? Mark would have. Right, but Luke didn't. He likes to expand it. Well, there's a reason here. He tells us that he was a tanner. It's a very important reason in context. A tanner worked with dead animals. And if you were Jewish, you would be going, oh. we'd have a gasp in here. He worked with dead animals. Tanners were considered unclean by many strict Jews because of their contact with these, the contact with these dead animals. In, in fact, in rabbinical uh, law, if a woman discovered that a man that she was betrothed to was a tanner, she could break it off. That's how unclean they thought of those who worked with dead animals, tanners. Yet, here we find Peter, who is as Jewish as they come before he met Jesus, staying at a tanner's house for many days. Well, maybe he didn't know he was a tanner. Are you kidding me? There was a smell of dead animals and, and dried out skins all over the place. Not only was he a tanner, but a tanner who loved Jesus. You've got to be kidding me! A tanner can love Jesus? A homeless man can love Jesus? Peter runs into this guy, and he lets him stay in his house. And he finds that this guy loves Jesus just as much as he does. He's changed his life just like he'd done Peter's life. A tanner. Unclean. The Lord was teaching Peter that what others consider unclean was clean through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's great news. 
The Lord is slowly breaking down many of Peter's prejudices that would hinder the spread of the gospel. And this sets up things perfectly for what happens in chapter 10. Do you all see? Maybe you wondered too before. And I never saw this before until studying this. That why? I mean, you just drop these two miracles in there. He stands there ten, and then we go and get this big, huge thing with Cornelius. And everybody, most people who read the Bible, with Cornelius, that's the big turning point. And it is a big turning point in the book of Acts. But all this is leading up and preparing the heart of Peter for that to happen. Hopefully you see that this morning. If not, I haven't been very clear. We'll go back and do two more messages on this, okay? So you probably, yeah, we, we see it, Brian, stop. All right. Well, here we go. Let's look at verse 10. Uh, chapter 10, and we'll read 1 through 7 uh, first. Now there was a man of Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what called the Italian court, a devout man and one who feared God with all, the house, all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have, have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. He's staying with, with, a, with a tanner named Simon whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And I'll go ahead, we'll go ahead and do A2. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The Lord is on the move. He's doing something here. And you can't miss it. He's going to make sure that not only the Jews and the Samaritans and the Ethiopians will be given new life in Christ, but yes, the Gentiles too. He's going to make sure that happens. And obviously the Lord is the work in the life of Cornelius. And he was going to assure that Cornelius heard the word of truth of the gospel. You see that. And, and he's what's called a God-fearer. He's a, he's a Gentile who, who has at least... It, been influenced enough. Maybe he converted Judaism. We don't know for sure. But at least he believes in some way in their God. He's been around them enough. He's a Roman. And he's been around them enough to know, man, that they have something going here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this out. So there's, there's, there's some humility there that maybe they've got it. Right? And you see he's praying. He's giving alms. He's, he's doing these things and he's crying out to God. And God's working his heart and God gives him assurance. You know, I'm going to let you know the whole truth. I'm going to let you know what nobody else is telling you. So how will the Lord do this? Look at verse 9. And we'll work down through verse uh, 13 here. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up. These guys are coming to get him. He doesn't know this. So Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry. And this, this just show you some of the Jewish culture that was still in Peter. He went up on the sixth hour just like he'd always done before he was a Christian. He went up to pray. On the sixth hour, he goes up on the roof to pray. Um, but verse 10, but he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were ma making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of, earth, <coughs> of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, <coughs> excuse me, to get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Notice Peter's response to this command to get up. Peter, kill and eat. No way, Lord. No way. His upbringing had conditioned him to be prejudiced in this area. No, no way, Lord. I love what Kent Hughes writes about this. Peter was heir to a strong tradition of prejudice that went clear back to Abraham and was exemplified in, a, in men like Jonah who resisted bearing witness to the Gentiles and was actually angry with God when the Ninevites repented and escaped judgment. During Peter's time, Jewish midwives were forbidden to aid a Gentile woman in childbirth for they would thereby help propagate Gentile scum. Are you kidding, Lord? Kill and eat? I'm not going to eat that. That's what the Gentiles eat. That's unclean. Hello, you just stand with a guy who's unclean? You just perform miracles in areas that were heavily Gentile influenced? The Lord does not take no for an answer. So look at verse 15. 
again. Hey, Peter, I'm back. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. The te- three times, I don't know this for sure, but I-, I would think most likely would have caused Peter to remember the three times the Lord told him to feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. His sheep just didn't consist of who Peter had envisioned. And that, stru- that was a struggle for Peter. Now look at verse 17. And we'll go down through verse 23. Now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision was he had seen might be, he behold the men who had been sent by Cornelius having asked directions for Simon's house appeared at the gate and calling out they were asking whether Simon who was also called Peter was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision the spirit said to him behold three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I've sent them myself. Peter went down to the men, and behold, <clears throat> and said, Behold, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging, Now the next day he got up and went with them and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. You see what just happened? The Lord broke through and broke down major prejudice in the life of Peter. So much so that he obeyed the Lord and he went with this Gentile scum. I mean that's what a Jewish person would have seen and said here. That's what he did. He went with them. He would go now and begin to feed Jesus' sheep who looked different than himself. Who thought different than he thought. In a sense, Peter asked the Lord this question. The Gentiles too? The, The Gentiles too? And the Lord answered with resounding, Yes, the Gentiles too, Peter. The Gentiles too. Now why did this happen? Because the Lord was and is committed to his followers being his witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth so that his mission of rescuing people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be accomplished. That's why. Because God's more committed to that mission than even we are. And that's good news. Well, so what? Hopefully you see the reason that this passage is here. You see this transition taking place. Hopefully that was clear enough that you didn't miss what's going on here. And hopefully it caused you to reflect. Okay, what's this passage have to do, do with me? Asking that question we like to ask around here. So what? So what? Some great information. I can go show everybody the great transition here in the book of Acts and how God prepared Peter and that was great. Oh, it's way more than that. Because it's about you and me. It's about God doing something in us too, isn't it? It always is. This is not just a history book. It's history, yeah. But it's meant to be applied and change our life today. So let me just give you some so what's, all right? Four four statements. First of all, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord to show you your prejudices. Ooh. Ask the Lord to show you your prejudices. Would you be like David? And just be super honest with the Lord and go to him like it is in Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. I like what the King James says here. Any wicked way within me. And prejudice is wicked. Look at our world today. Look at the results of prejudices, not just with skin color, but all kinds of prejudging that happen. It's ugly. So I'm asking you to join me to ask the Lord to show you your prejudices. Or look at my heart. 
Look, look at my life. What are they? I, I need to know. Some of us are blinded by them. Because that's just, we've been brought up so much like that. We don't know any other way. Ask God, he'll show you. Just like he did, David. Secondly, I want to encourage you with this. Know that the Lord is committed to his work in you. Isn't that good news? We're going to ask him to show our prejudice. We better know also that he's committed to his work in us. Because that's a scary thing to do if he's not. And one of the greatest verses on this, when I talk through Philippians, I love this passage, 1-6. For I'm confident of the very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He was committed to this in Peter's life. We just saw it, didn't we? We just saw him take Peter and begin to change his heart. And the Lord was so gracious and so gentle and so patient in bringing Peter to that point. And that's the way that God loves his children, isn't it? He expresses his love that way. And he will bring us to that point as well. Now, it's either going to be, it's going to be hard no matter what. It's going to be hard or it could be really hard. I want to encourage you just to make it hard, okay? Really hard is too much. Maybe not too much. God's going to get you there. But no, he's committed to doing this, to, to changing our prejudice, to see people through his eyes. I'm just thinking about one of our passages that we read here recently in our Abide about God sending Samuel to find the new king. And Samuel looks up and down. Oh, man, look at that guy. Oh, man, 6'5", 250, all muscle. It's not that guy. Well, this guy's 6'3", 215. He's even leaner. Not that guy. Goes through all of them. Hey, do you got any more sons? Oh, I got this shepherd boy over here. That's the one. Because God does not look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. And he, we want to ask him, Lord, help us look at the heart. Help us look at people the way you look at them. Thirdly, thank the Lord for getting the gospel to you. Thank the Lord for getting the gospel to you. What a gift. Amazing. He got the gospel to Cornelius. And we're going to see the rest of the story next week. But see, Cornelius couldn't get the gospel on his own. He had what we call common grace. God gives this common grace everything. We see this in the Psalms, in Psalm 19. He, he, the the creations, the, the, the heavens declare the glory of God, right? We see that there's a God. He's a wonderful. He'd heard all these things from the Jewish nation misinterpreted in a lot of ways. But there was a God and he knew that. But he knew there was more and God was going to get it to him. So he needed saving grace. He needed someone to come and explain to him about the gospel and God sent Peter. Just like Psalm 19. The first half of it is about common grace. It's about the heavens and the creation declare the glory of God. But it can't tell you that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You can look at a tree all day. You'll never get that out of it. You can look at the beautiful ocean, the sunset here, and, and where we have some of those beautiful sunsets in the world. And you'll never get that out of it. You need the gospel. That's the second half of Psalm 19. The word of God. And God calls us to take the word. Somebody brought it to us, didn't they? Somebody brought it to us. Thank God for getting the gospel to you. Fourthly, obey the Lord and take the gospel to all peoples. All peoples. Even the ones who don't look like you. Who don't talk like you. They didn't grow up like you grew up. They live on the other side of the tracks. Depending on what side of the tracks you live on. No matter what they look like. What language they have. Take the gospel. Obey the Lord and take the gospel to all peoples. And know this as you do. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Well, actually, just, it's missing. It should be 12 through 13, but I'll tell you what 12 through 13 says. It says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Four, take the gospel to the nations, all peoples. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Isn't that good news? We asked the question when we were doing Philippians, who's at work? God or us? And what was the answer? Yes. yes. God is working in us. We're all working, right? He calls us to do an unbelievable thing. And we may have to step out of our comfort zone. It may feel really awkward. I don't even know how to talk to that person. You know what? 
if God has called you, and he has, to take the gospel to all peoples, all different types of peoples, he will empower you to take the gospel to them. He never lets us down. He's always faithful. Always. Isn't that great news? And many of you here this morning, and maybe the Lord's doing what he was doing in Cornelius' life. He's starting to prick at your heart. He's starting to make you think about the things of the Lord. Maybe he just started this morning. I don't know. He does. And you wonder, what is this all about? Uh, this God thing. And there's a God and, and it says he loves me, all that kind of thing. What is this all about? Well, let me tell you what it's all about. It's about a God who created the heavens and the earth. He created them perfectly. And he gave it to mankind. And he said, hey, walk with me. And mankind chose to, you know, chose to say, no, I don't really need you, God. I, I want to be God. I, I want to be in control. And he sinned. And it separated him from God. And the whole Bible is about this. It's about God doing something about that right there. It's called sin. We miss God's mark. He calls us to glorify him, to make much of him. We don't. We want to be the boss. We want to glorify ourselves. If we're all honest, that's the truth. We want to be God. Just like Adam and Eve wanted to be God. Just like Satan wanted to be God. And God loves us so much, he did this. Although we deserve sin, which is the wages, we deserve death, which is the wages of sin, he sent his own son to take the wages of our sin upon himself. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteous of God in him. That's what he did for us. And he calls us to respond to that gift, that, that, that the salvation, this rescuing us from the condemnation of our sin is it's a gift. It's a gift of his son to take your place and to pay your penalty. We got to do something. Who's at work? Yes. Yes, God and us, both. Here's what we do. Empowered by God, opens our eyes. Oh my goodness, just like he did here to Cornelius, we'll see. And we say, Lord, I don't want to trust in me. I'll never meet your standard, but I'm going to trust in what Jesus did on my behalf. He says when we do that, when we transfer our trust to the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes us a new creation. And he does what he did in Peter. He begins to change us from the inside out. Isn't that great news? If you've never done that, I would challenge you. I would implore you on Christ's behalf to turn from trusting in yourself and your own goodness and your works and turn from sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be rescued and made new. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the power of the word to change us from the inside out. Lord, thank you for the, the comfort we know that you are committed to the mission of your church to see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to be surrounding you forever and giving you praise and glorifying you of which you've created them to do. Lord, thank you for being committed to that. Thank you for being committed to make us more like you and to root out our prejudice so you can use us into the fulfilling of the mission of the church. Lord, help us call out to you. Lord, help us do what Peter did, knowing that power only comes from you to accomplish your work. Lord, may that be the heartbeat of our church, relying on you to accomplish your work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.